This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Welcome to Primal Screen, a triple R film criticism show and podcast. I'm your host, Flick Ford, and joining me in the virtual studio are guest reviewers, Will Cox. Hey, Will. G'day. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Good. Um, we've also got Daniel James. Good evening. Hello. I should, I should announce you as the missions, Daniel James. The missions own. <laughs> um, how are you doing? Oh, as well as can be expected, you know, yeah. uh, lockdown day 211. Yes. What else are we going to do? <laughs> so I was very honoured to be um, asked to come on the show tonight and uh, and talk some film because it is binge-worthy season, is it not? Oh, absolutely. I'm kind of, I'm pretty sad. So MIF 2021 just came to an end last night. And up until then, I had all, I felt like I was drowning in films to watch. Like, uh, you know, when it was nice weather, I was like, oh, but there's all these MIF films that are going to expire. Um and tonight's show, we're actually meant to be doing a climate change film special. I had the idea and I was like, I'm going to get two of the smartest people I know. We're going to talk about climate change and we're going to, you know, make a real difference. Um, and then, to be honest, the lockdowns, the protests, the case numbers, it was such a depressing week. And I, I messaged both of you and I just said, look, I'm, I'm not up to it. I can't, I can't do climate change films this week. Um, so Thank we will. Thank you yeah. for not. Thank you for not making me spend my weekend watching documentaries <laughs> about how we're all doomed. <laughs> we are all doomed, but it's nice. It's nice just to have a break from that because I think we're all feeling pretty low. Um, so we've gone for a much, much lighter fare tonight. Um, for tonight, we're going to be spotlighting escapist cinema. Um, and we've got f- three films that um, I'm sure uh, will take you somewhere else uh, while you're staying exactly where you are. So first up, we're going to go to London for a live-action animated comedy that has famously outranked Citizen Kane as the greatest film ever made. It's right, Paddington it's 2. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Paddington 2, written and directed by Paul King. Uh, then we'll head out well beyond our 5Ks uh, into Santa Barbara County wine country for Alexander Payne's 2004 Merlot-hating classic Sideways. <laughs> Guess who picked that one? And finally, we'll finish the night with Emily Blunt and Tom Cruise fighting aliens on repeat in Doug Liman's sci-fi action from 2014, The Edge of Tomorrow. So we've each picked a film that has allowed us a bit of escapism this week. Um, I mean, to be honest, if I was, if I really was saying what has got me through, um, I would make you both watch all eight Harry Potter films because uh, that genuinely is what I've been watching. <laughs> But um, anyway, time to uh, connect up your home projector, settle into your couch, and this is our first film of the night. Mr. Gruber. Oh, what's this? 
Ah, this is London. It's wonderful. Aunt Lucy always dreamed of coming to London. If she saw this, it would be like she were finally here. Aunt Lucy! Oh, Paddington. This is perfect. So this is Paddington 2, directed by Paul King from 2017. It's been a little while since Paddington Bear hitched a ride from darkest Peru to London and was adopted by the kindly Brown family. He now has a wonderful family and has made friends in all sorts of places, to quote the bear. But after attempting to get his Aunt Lucy a nice birthday present, a valuable pop-up book, Paddington is thrown in jail for a crime he didn't commit and his adoptive family must clear his name and catch the real thief. Uh, Not a second is wasted in this film. It's just charm from every pore and it's brought to life by a cast of (laughs) beloved British actors who have that cuddly teddy bear quality. (laughs) Ben Wishaw is the voice of Paddington. Uh, Hugh Bonneville, Sally Hawkins, Hugh Grant, Julie Julie Walters. I'm just going to keep naming people. (laughs) Joanna Lumley. We don't have that long. (laughs) Noah Taylor. Richard Ayoade, Sanjeev Bhaskar, uh, Jamie Demetrio. It's just one of those uh, every actor in Britain gets a turn kind of films. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) It's a a dreamy utopian mix of contemporary Britain and 50s storybook Britain, uh, a place of tolerance, community and acceptance. It's about finding the good in people and people finding a place no matter their background. This is just such a respite from the uh, politics and realities of today and not just Britain but the world. And it gives you this beacon of hope that this migrant bear can land on his feet and find comfort and love in a brutal world that is, as the film reminds us, just populated with people, individuals who make mistakes but are all just trying to get by and Paddington looks to the good in people and he finds it. (sighs) We it's all just need- so nice. <laughs> it's so nice. I think that is the the the, the standout for um for like cute little like comfort films and escapism for this week especially. <laughs> um, Will, this is uh, obviously your choice, um, but such an excellent pick. Um, what was when did you actually first watch Paddington Two? Were you at the cinema like opening night? What was your <laughs> No, I wasn't. No, no, no. I hadn't seen Paddington 1 and slipped me by. What? You've got then, to see Paddington 1. It's no, no, so I haven't good. seen it now. I oh, hadn't good, seen good. it at the time when this came out. And I thought, oh, yeah, I heard this is, I saw some reviews and I thought, yeah, that looks insufferable, you know. Um, but and then um, I heard good things about it and I watched it and I just teared up like a little boy, you know. It was um, it's just so joyful. Um, I didn't catch it in cinema, I don't think. Um, I saw it on, you know, streaming. I and had a lot I've of yeah. Watched it uh, several times, you know. Every time I'm, it's just become one of those, um, you know, struggle comfort films. So in lockdown, yeah. I think I've watched it about three times. <laughs> I I was pushing it so much on friends that I, I had a lot of people contact me, being like, "Do I have to have seen Paddington One?" And I was yeah. like, "Well, <laughs> I was like, personally, yes, you do, but I also you like, you can. yeah, yeah, it is a kids' film. It, it is kind of it does lead you <laughs> down the narrative." Um, Had no, you I'm seen so this before, Dan? No, first time uh, I watched it for the first time last night. Um, uh, gee, when the Brits want to lay on the Britishness thick, <laughs> they lay it on really, really thick, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, it's a, I think it would have been fantastic to see it on on the big screen. It's a beautiful looking film. Um, but yeah, just lashings of marmalade in terms of the of the Britishness. Like you said, there's almost every 
British character actor that you can possibly think of that's uh, that's in this. And the the I like the link between uh, uh, your your film Will and your film Flick, and that they both got Brendan yeah. Gleeson in them. <laughs> There's and so Noah many Yeah, Noah Taylor. Yeah, Noah Taylor. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, Nothing this, says this, escape of cinema like those two. This <laughs> extreme <laughs> Britishness. Oh, I was going to say the one I mentioned before as well. Brendan Gleeson's in um, Harry Potter as well. He's um, Professor Moody. So you really want a triple triple bill of Gleeson. <laughs> but this, get this extreme Britishness is the extreme Britishness is really interesting to me because it's this it's a fantasy, but it's one that Britain's been in British film has been indulging in for decades since the nineties. Mm, I think yeah, you know, when absolutely. Cool Britannia and you know Oasis and Blur and all that big cultural moment of Union Jacks everywhere. So then Notting Hill, Downton Abbey, Spice World, all the Harry Potter, I dropped Spice World in there. For, <laughs> at home. Uh, all the, all the British, all the Harry Potter films, it's all a bit fraudulent, a bit suspect. It's a, a bit um, uh, World War II, wishing for a white British monoculture kind of thing. Or, or Vivian from The Young Ones, I always remember the quote from The Young Ones, it's a reactionary stereotypes confirming the myth that everyone in Britain is a lovable middle-class eccentric. But I think that this is the, this is different, you know, because it's kind of this beautiful, um, vibrant, loving, diverse Britain that's a fantasy because it's, it's, this is the year after the, um, the, uh, the Brexit referendum mm. and here we're showing a Britain that maybe could be, should be, but most definitely isn't. Mm. Well, this it's, is it's why it's escapist. On, yeah, it's it's, it's yeah. based on one of the most sort of beloved children's characters uh, in the English language. So, I guess we can give them a bit of license to sort of trying to stay true to the essence of that of that character and the mm. world in which that character exists. Mm. But in in terms of where we are in terms of film and 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 what modern day Britain looks like, it's a million miles away from that. And I think that's probably part of its success in a way. Mm, yeah, it's so interesting. Is it? I, <laughs> I was so swept up in this. Um, I, I kind of knew that I, I loved Paddington One, so I was excited to watch Paddington Two. And I'm embarrassed that it's taken me this long to get around to it. But um, I actually feel like this is such a joy as a cinematic um, masterpiece. Like I honestly feel like the the way in which like a lot of the scenes are put together and the physical comedy in this is just mm. so good. And Paddington One has that as well, like in Spades. But a lot of the um, creative decisions on how they present the action and the characters, I think is so clever and it comes down to some of the framing choices, um, the music, um, all of those things kind of work really well. And I started taking notes um, because I think that this would be a great film to dissect for um, camera angles and the mise-en-scene and all of these things that are <laughs> like films are like, I want to show students how to do X, Y, Z. And it's like this film has it all. Um, yeah, of course, like, this, the cast is ridiculous, but I think more so the film, um, the the creativity behind it really came out for me, and it's much stronger than the second, uh, than the first film in that regard. Like, there's this real um, cohesiveness to the action. It's got fantastic pacing. Um, it's got, It's just really tightly made and really well thought out, but then it also just doesn't take itself too seriously, and I think having these very well-known British actors slotted into these roles um I don't know it's just a perfect mix for me and like a perfect one to rewatch. I can imagine having this as a as a sort of um go-to you know break in the case of emergency because you really need something sweet that's not um you know 
case numbers or, or protests happening in the city. I think that, yeah, there's something about the the warmth of this created world. Like I know for both of you have touched upon the fact that this is a very fake Britain that's presented. Mm. Um, well, it's, it's, I, it's, I it's a movie like about that. talking bear, so there's going to be a degree of <laughs> well, yeah, about it. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah. But they make it fruitful. Like I think that combination of live action animation so rarely, I think in more recent years we've seen really good examples of, examples of that, but it can be really jarring and just it's hard to get over that. And usually when you're first watching a film like that, it takes a while and then you, you kind of, uh, brought into it but I think as this film plays around with form so much there's a wonderful scene in which um, Paddington is imagining his aunt's reaction when he presents her with the gift of this pop-up book mm, and it yes. cuts to this 2D uh, animation yeah how stunning is that and how um, masterful and I love that it's given that sort of attention to detail to a children's film there's this mm. sense of like just coming up with something cheap and this, um, you know, mass production of kind of not very well-made kids' films, but this is so far from that. This is actually about mm. cinema and it is for kids but it's also for adults and, yeah, th- those scenes stand out for me and actually the, the scene with the prisoners where they've got the, um, the pipe connecting up all these voices of isolation and I just thought there was something really touching about the um, humanising those prisoners and and kind of saying, you know, they're just really, their families and friends have forgotten about them and it was all through the the tube, the plumbing. I thought that was quite sweet. I think um, when I saw the, the, the you know, the re-watching it uh, this weekend just gone, as when it moves into the prison, I thought, oh, this could be pretty dicey. I don't really remember how it treats the prisoners, but it just treats them as pretty misunderstood people who mm. just haven't had much of a shot, you know, which is just such a great thing to be showing kids, you know. Yeah. Like, uh, it's just so open and pleasant. Um, yeah. And that pop-up book scene is just so Amazing. beautiful. Mm. It's, it's like a little illustration of the whole film, sort of escaping into this miniature London where everyone's friendly and everything is as you imagined it as a child. Mm. Um, I, th- I think the, one of the things that stood out for me too was the... Um, just the 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 expression they're able to get on Paddington himself, you know, just the the, the yeah. multitude of expressions, and and that's mm. one thing that's traditionally been lacking in that sort of computer computer generated universe of uh, developing characters, and um, they they seem to have, you know, really sort of nailed just every little detail of expression in, in terms of the way his fur moves, but his his eyes um, really are very, very expressive. And mm. that's just a, 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 another element now that, you know, I think <laughs> I think actors in the future have actually got to really watch out for themselves because they're <laughs> going to be replaced by <laughs> computer-generated images <laughs> because they are becoming so, so good. Yeah, And Ben, ben Weishaw doesn't, doesn't um, ham it up either. Everybody, I think, live action is having a great big scene-chewing time, but Ben <laughs> Weishaw is quite toned down, um, yeah. letting the animation do the acting, you know, carry the, yeah. the equal weight, I think. He's um, got such is... a perfect voice for it as well. He's got that real yeah. softness of his voice. Um, and I love that, like, the ca- you know, a lot of it is about... Um, about um, being open to people who are different to to you, and I think True. that it's a lo- there's a lovely softness in his persistence with that, and to see the better side of people, regardless. Like it's almost as though he just doesn't he doesn't come with that same baggage, and so he's able just to mm. meet people 
and talk to them like humans. And yet each of each of the different characters, of course, are bringing these assumptions or pre- preconceived notions about people. So, yeah, there's a, there's a beautiful, I love that it's just a fragile bear at the centre of it as well. I did cry quite a lot through this film. I blame it on lockdown, <laughs> I, but I think it's just the film. <laughs> no, blame it on the film. I, I, think, <laughs> I think that it's one concession to post-Brexit referendum Britain is Peter Capaldi's character who was a main antagonist in the first film mm. um, as this um, this neighbourhood racist who just wanted to get um, Paddington locked away because he mm. doesn't like, frankly, doesn't want foreigners in his nice street. Um, mm. and, and he didn't really learn anything. He's still an asshole in the second <laughs> one, um, which is a bit of a concession to the, maybe there's only one person in this film that does that. Um, but as opposed to the 51% of people in Britain that <laughs> actually vote, uh, you know, we don't want foreigners in our street. But um, it, it's, good, it's good to see that that different perspective, you know, that mm. they, they still have to deal with that, mm. um, the family. Yeah. And I, I think, think the overall oh, success of the film um, too is people's surprise about how good it actually is. <laughs> you know, when you have expectations of, of, of a film and then um, you, you go along and, and, you, and you watch it and if you're surprised by how good a film is, then that adds to the, to, the, to the word of mouth factor, which is, of course, is the best form of marketing there is for, for film. And, um, you know, I, I must say I went in watching it um, with a sort of a pessimistic sort of view um, to, to go with my normal demeanour in life, but um, <laughs> I was I was surprised. And so when people ask me about it, I'm gonna I'm gonna sell it because um, it's it's much better than I thought it would be. Yeah, I think when Pad- I mean Paddington's got like you were saying, Will, it's got there's a, obviously such a well known you know kids book character, but I think that um, that reluctance for us to talk seriously about kids films, particularly like often those films won't get reviewed or they get reviewed with kind of a wink, wink, nod, you know, nudge, mm, nudge mm-hmm. sort of thing. And it's not really always taken seriously as a cinematic uh, creation that, you know, uh, professionals have worked on. This has been crafted. So it's lovely to have a film where you can really dive in and sort of pull those elements apart because, um, you know, of course it's nice to 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 um that it's just like a fun and light-hearted film but it's also very technically very masterful and i think mm. um it's wonderful when there's people talk, such as yourself talking about these films because um yeah it, it just kind of shows the potential and there's like a lot to be gained from watching those it's kind of like the um the the boom in YA fiction you know where people mm. are like oh actually i can read things that or i can watch films that are outside of my age group and learn quite a lot from them um i definitely feel like i've learned a lot from Paddington too i don't know about you too but i felt well, like this- yeah it really stuck with me this is why it alarmed a lot of people, I think, when it, it got a perfect 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, putting it up mm. against Citizen Kane. And I think there's a strange thing in film discussion, uh, which doesn't happen in, say, discussion of novels, um, where you get a percentage or a star rating. So mm. it means, like, which is better, Citizen Kane or Paddington 2? What mm. a ridiculous discussion to have. What a pointless yeah. argument. Yes, um, precise. And to, to measure things in that. I mean, like, even the awards, if you think about how we um, rate films and how we, what we give awards to, um, the, you know, comedy is so often left out, animation so left out, you know, the, the kids' films. So it's just like we don't see that as serious cinema. But in order to pull that off well, it has to be done 
you know, perfectly for it to be a good film. So it's yeah, it's interesting. It does bring a bring to um contrast those like, yeah, I suppose like fractures in in film criticism as well. Um if you've just, just tuned in and you're oh sorry, Daniel, you go. I was just I was just gonna say did, did either of you two get a lot of the sort of Wes Anderson's Anderson's out of oh, the film? Absolutely. absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Could have that, been that a Wes would, Anderson film. Yes. I thought that exact the um screenshot that I shared on our socials I thought that that looked yeah. like something out of Fantastic Mr. Fox or, you know, Absolutely. like it just that framing, that centre framing, the colour palette, the the walls in all of the rooms, um, mm-hmm. the, you know, the characters, um, even the splitting between different formal styles with, you know, cutting to the animation and, and things like that mm. had a very Wes and and kind of that sense of um, whimsy, you know, it is a yeah, very yeah. whimsical, whimsical well, film. So yeah, Paul King, the Paul King, the director, mm. um, directed every episode of The Mighty Boosh, um, <laughs> and and it was co-written by Simon Farnaby, who is he's in um, Mighty Boosh quite a bit as a secondary or you know third tier character, and mm. he um, he's co-written lots of British sitcoms and things. But yeah, that's the strong Mighty mm. Boosh pedigree. So I that, can see that, that for sure. And, and, yeah. and the, you know the uniforms and things like that. It's a Wes Anderson thing, but it also ties right back to, to Mighty Boosh. Yeah, there's heaps of little treasures like that. I think you can unpack it and you can see that. But it, it, it is definitely its own film. Um, so if you're feeling like you need some escapism in lockdown, um, we highly recommend Paul King's Paddington 2, which is currently available to stream on Binge or Foxtel, or you can rent or buy it on Google Play, Fetch or YouTube. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R on FM, digital, online, via the app. You're tuned into Primal Screen on Triple R with Daniel James, Will Cox, and myself, Flick Ford. You might be curious as to why we've got Paddington, we're opening with Paddington too, but we're celebrating the power of cinema to take us somewhere we'd rather be. Um, and as someone who is currently abstaining from alcohol, uh, there is indeed no place I'd rather be than wine country. Let me show you how this is done. Hold the glass up and examine the wine against the light. You're looking for color and clarity. Now, stick your nose in it. Maybe some strawberry. Mm. Oh, there's just a flutter of like a like a nutty Edam cheese. When do we drink it now? Mmm. Are you chewing gum? No. Spit it out. Yes, uh, Sideways um, was released back in uh, way back in 2004. And it's an adaption by uh, a, a novel of uh, Rex Pickett's from uh, 2004, from the novel of the same name. Now, I myself am pretty susceptible to uh, road movies, especially American road movies. And um, this is what this is of, of sorts. It's directed by Alexander Payne, who uh, other directorial, directorial works include um, Election and uh, Nebraska. And uh, my favourite of his, um, apart from this one, is about Schmidt, which involved his first collaboration with one of the stars of the film, Paul Giamatti. Uh, Sideways centres around a couple of losers characters, uh, Miles, played by Giamatti, a depressed, anxiety-riddled middle school English teacher who also happens to be a wine connoisseur and an alcoholic, and his best friend Jack, played by Thomas Hayden Church. They both head to wine country in Northern California to celebrate Jack's last days of freedom before he marries his fiancée, Christine. Basically, Jack is a jock, um, a former soapy star, 
who now earns a living at doing voiceovers for commercials. He's a womaniser, so he's determined to get both Miles and himself laid, laid, and that becomes one of the main plot drivers for the story. Um, it's in one country where Miles and Jack meet uh, Maya, played by Virginia Madsen, a waitress of Miles at Miles' favourite restaurant, The Hitching Post, and Stephanie, who works at the vineyards, being a, what they term a wine pour chick, and that's played by the wonderful Sandra O, the first time that she came across my radar as, a, as an actor, and she's, of course, gone on to do many um, a great thing. Uh, needless to say, uh, things don't go to plan over the course of the week. It's a quirky, warm film despite the two main characters being losers and the acts of betrayal that they commit to each other and to those around them, it's actually hard to dislike either of them too much because what we're doing through them is exploring the human condition and all its contradictions and frailties. Um, it was actually quite a critically acclaimed and successful film when it came out. Um, it won Best Adapted Screenplay at the 77th Academy Awards. It was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor with Thomas Hayden Church and Best Supporting Actress with, uh, with Virginia Madsen. Um, it also has a number of my, uh, my favourite lines from, from films in it. Um, if you, <laughs> you are a wine, Yeah, I will. If you are a wine <laughs> connoisseur, um, it's full of uh, sort of inside talk that um, a lot of it is actually nonsense. But the, 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 the quote that I'll provide um, <laughs> actually beautifully describes the, the difference between the two main characters in terms of Miles and Jack. And so there's, there's a swear word. There's a couple of swear words in this. but um, we'll, we'll allow that. We'll uh... Just Sweet give you out. a. I'll just, mate, yeah, you know, if you don't like yeah. swear words, switch off for give the next twenty off. seconds. <laughs> virgin ears. Let's switch back on. <laughs> um, so they're at they're at a um, they're at a, um, a a commercial winery, and uh, Miles, being the, the the wine snob that he is, um, disapproves, and so he has a swig of wine and goes, "It tastes like the back of a fucking LA school bus." Now they probably didn't de-stem, hoping for some semblance of concentration. Crushed it up with leaves and mice and then wound up with this rancid tar and turpentine bullshit. Fucking raid. And Jack replies, I don't know, it tastes pretty good to me. <laughs> and basically that sort of sums up their dynamic throughout the rest of the film. <laughs> I kind of love, though, that there is, um, yeah, like the, they works well having those two characters bounce off each other because I think if it had just been um, Giamatti's character on his own, you just wouldn't get that lightness necessarily. You'd be stuck with this very depressed character. And I think that, like, Jack has this lightness to him that is also just a bit ridiculous and he's also, you know, not a necessarily very moral man no. um, and not a very good character in a lot of ways. Um, I do love the chemistry between them two, the two. I haven't watched this since I saw it in a cinema when it first came out. So was that the same wow. as you, Will, or had you watched it I saw it shortly after it came out it would have been you know when it hit dvd or something like yeah. that yeah okay i didn't see it in the cinema yeah. um but yes it has been since then that's yeah. the last time that i okay. saw it okay yeah um, and yeah oh sorry you go oh i was just going to say i understand that this started something of a jump start in american wine sales mm. yeah it yeah the sideways effect cool thing. How, <laughs> can, well, you, you can know actually... anything about that you can actually um, book yourself a sideways tour of uh, Santa Barbara um, <laughs> County if you want to, which includes stopping at the Hitching Post and going to all the various wineries that they um, they end up in the in the show doing. It's, so yeah, it's kind of weird though because as much as of course, you know, there's an appreciation of wine, and it did make me very much want to drink. 
But I don't know that I wouldn't have necessarily thought that it'd be so marketable for that because actually it's a breakdown of a friendship and there's, you know, there's kind of, there's lots of things that go wrong on that wine tour that are not all positive. So it's kind of interesting that people would watch that and be like, oh, I really want to go to all the same places. I I don't think think it's that kind of caring. I think one of the things that lends itself to that, that tourism angle is that it is beautifully shot. Um, mm, true. They are sunny days. There are a couple of montages there um, of the, you know, Northern California countryside that actually uh, work really beautifully. And it's kind of one of, um, I guess, Alexander Payne's, you know, tricks is his use of montage in, in all mm. his films. Um, but yeah, if you if you're looking to get away for a romantic weekend and um, you're trying to be basing that on the film itself, uh, you might want to reevaluate your life. <laughs> basing the, the sheer quantity of wine drunk, it did make <laughs> the way that it was depicting drinking is apart from deeply problematic. It, it is quite. It does seem quite pleasant most of the time. You know, just the way they're sitting in a restaurant and just that feeling of having one glass of wine and going. Oh, just relaxing. I did actually go and get a glass of wine about halfway through, but it was <laughs> me squeezing the last of the classic dry red from a bag. So it's not quite <laughs> in the bag. spirit of the film. Yeah. But um, that's lockdown. Uh, lockdown wine, is, wine is pretty interchangeable as a symbol here, you know, and it's used as a kind mm, of metaphor, but, yeah. but no one really says that much interesting about wine. And did you say that most of the what they do say about wine is not true. <laughs> it's just nonsense. <laughs> I, I heard an interview um, with a with an actual genuine wine connoisseur a number of years ago, and for some reason the the presenter brought up uh, sideways as a topic of conversation. Um, you know, and he goes, "Well, what did you think of this of sideways?" I thought it, he goes, oh, "I thought it was hilarious." You know, the the amount of wine talk in there that's just nonsensical. <laughs> is um, actually hilarious. So, you know, that's fantastic in itself that they've actually gone to the effort of sending up the culture um, as, as well. Um, the, one, the one moment where I think wine really sort of became its own character was when uh, 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 Miles is chased, chased down the hill uh, by Jack after being informed that his ex-wife is going to be attending Jack's wedding. And they both run down and they're actually absolutely buggered. And then um, Miles looks at a, a bunch of grapes and just um, brushes the dust off the grapes with his, mm. with his thumb and you can see his own reflection in a way in the wine itself. I love, I love little shots like that in mm. film that um, just make you sort of try and reinvest in, in the story and what's actually happening in, in, in the character's life. And just a little visual cue like that sort of... Um, is a reminder that this character, no matter how nonsensical and farcical he is, he's actually going through a world of pain. And I, mm. I thought that little scene there actually added to that. Mm. But I also must say that um, uh, Giamatti's performance is, as always, fantastic. He's one of the most underrated screen character um, act, screen character actors that that we have. And I actually looked back um, and I thought, oh, he he was probably probably in his fifties there when he when he made that film. No, he was thirty four. Oh my God. I'm, I'm 34. <laughs> yeah. Well, Giamatti was 34. Than, you're looking better than him, Will. Oh, my Thank gosh. You. Thank you. <laughs> That's the most shocking thing I think I've heard all year. <laughs> Sorry, I just lost my chain of thought there. I'm so shocked. Yeah, it blew my mind. Um, that's wild. I, yeah. It's very <laughs> strange seeing, seeing this after um, it, it was very contemporary when I first 
saw it, you know, it had just come out. Mm. And now seeing how it's dated, um, 16, 17 years old. I think old. it's uh, matured. Um, well, matured, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it, but I wanted to look, I looked back at other things that were happening in 2004 because what it really reminded me of the dynamic now mm. uh, between the two characters reminded me of Peep Show, the sitcom. Oh, yeah. Um, which mm. also started in 2004 and also in 2004 Anchorman, um, a very different film. <laughs> but it's interesting that all these three things came out at the same time and they're all um, the beginnings of sort of dissecting gross dudes. Yeah. Uh, still looking at them lovingly, they still end up the hero, but really yeah. looking at their actions and questioning, you know, like are we, are we really behind these guys? Mm. Um, I think um, if this film had been made this year, uh, I think that perhaps there would have been a slightly different treatment of those characters Mm-hmm. Um, potentially, but I don't, it's interesting because when I first watched it, when it came out, I remember being so, I found, found it hilarious. Like I remember just like laughing so hard during this film. Um, but then I suppose it's been so long since I've watched Sideways and then revisiting it. I do think, yeah, there's bits where it's like, have we seen this character too much on screen? But I think really it's the... Uh, Alexander Payne is such a masterful director and he's able to take very unlikable characters. And I don't think he is promoting them or it's not even a not necessary glorification. He's not judging them. No, but he's not judging. And I think that that's a that perhaps in 2021 standards is maybe like too uncomfortable of a sitting on the fence. But he, I mean, his his my favorite film of Payne's is Nebraska. I think Nebraska is like such a perfect film. Um, if you haven't watched it, please seek it out. That that film is also about kind of quite a damaged man. And I think it's it, he's fascinated by that as a topic. And I think the investigation and this exploration of the characters that, you know, have these quite unlikable traits to them is really interesting when you connect it up with maybe the cultural, you know, wouldn't fit in maybe with today's culture, but it's still interesting as an exploration because, yeah, it's sort of it's in between for me. I, th- I think I remember enjoying it so much and there's really beautiful moments of poeticism um, I think it, it was so original at the time that it then got kind of made fun of in a lot of different, in a lot of obvious ways. But it became pretty iconic, really. Um, I think, um, yeah. I think one of the other major contextual points of of the time too was it was at the height of um, the Second Gulf War, in which you know uh, America and its uh, um, laptop uh, allies went into uh went into iraq again mm. and there are there's a scene where there's there's a um i won't give it away if you haven't seen it but there's a very sort of explicit bedroom scene in which um miles is trying to retrieve jack's wallet and in the background <laughs> you have um uh, george w bush and uh, donald rumsfeld <laughs> i did not notice that in that scene <laughs> 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 it would be and just pans past the tv yeah, and just, pass, just holds there the for TV. a second oh, just yeah. watching <laughs> bush i think in my head he's making his um mission accomplished uh speech maybe right. uh, i'm not sure it's not sure to be certain but but the it's metaphor, quite a, the metaphor is a strong one yeah. in terms of yeah. um, what they what they were doing to the country and to the middle mm. east at yeah. the time <laughs> So, strong, yeah. strong failure vibe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, look, we've been, um, I think that it fits in well with our um, escapism because I definitely want to get more than 5Ks from my house. So watching that was um, <laughs> 
Like, when I can think, I next I think, go? I out? think Victoria's wine country is going to be smashed to oh. the rains by the time this thing's over. We're just going to be hitting the road and going on our own wine trips and enjoying mm-hmm. the, the sunny days and the vineyards of uh, Victoria and surrounds. And um, hopefully this film can uh, get the, the viewer somewhere relatively close to at least to that vibe. <laughs> yeah, we wine get a country. bottles of red and then get back in the car <laughs> go to the next winery. <laughs> Are there a lot laws in America? I, I thought that there were. Well, if you'd like a good accompaniment to your lockdown, uh, pour yourself a big glass of Alexander Payne Sideways. Uh, It's available to stream on Disney Plus or you can rent it on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Amazon Video, YouTube or Fetch. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Melbourne's own Triple R. Um, so you are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. My name is Flick Ford, and joining me in the studio are two very special guest reviewers, Will Cox and Daniel James. So we're distracting ourselves uh, from the bin fire that is our lives and settling into films that present us with a completely different world. So the next film, this is my pick for the week. Uh, look, it's it's a little bit ridiculous. Uh, it's very hammy. Uh, it features a whole heap of aliens. And an extremely toned Emily Blunt, uh, who reminds me that I really should do more yoga in lockdown. I'm sorry, the first wave to beach, you mean the front? France. Satellites show minimal enemy movement on the coast. Little resistance. Little exciting something to tell your grandchildren. I appreciate the confidence, General. I do do this to avoid doing that. (laughs) I... I was in ROTC in college. The war broke out. I lost my advertising firm, and here I am. You know, I do what I do, and you, you do what you do. That was, of course, Doug Lyman's The Edge of Tomorrow from 2014, and that was Tom Cruise, a marketing spin doctor of war against aliens, in a not-too-distant future being told in no uncertain terms by General Brigham, played by Brennan Gleeson, that he will indeed be going to the front line. Uh, so, The Edge of Tomorrow is directed by Doug Lyman and it's based on a screenplay that was adapted from a 2004 novel called All You Need Is Kill by Hiroshi Sakurazaka. Uh, so, the film is set in a future where most of Europe has been uh, taken over by this alien race. Um, we have Cruz as this PR guy with absolutely no combat experience, as he says in that clip about being scared of blood, um, and he's forced to basically go to the front line and um, he has to, um, he finds himself basically stuck in a time loop and um, the, he needs to connect up with this super soldier played by Emily Blunt to work out how to get out of this weird like alien groundhog day. Um, to be honest, uh, in this lock- lockdown, I feel like I'm always on the edge of tomorrow. Um, but what did you guys think about this? Um, Daniel, let's start with you. Well, well first of all, I was um surprisingly triggered in the opening uh, segments of Oh, I know exactly what you're going to say. <laughs> they put together a really clever and really definitely done montage of what were current events in the film. They <laughs> seem to resonate a fair bit with the current events that are happening in this I, world. I did feel terrible. As soon as it started, I was like, oh, I definitely forgot about that bit. <laughs> and, the, and, and the really trigger, triggering thing about it was that um, Brendan Gleeson, 
actually looks very similar to a fellow called Dr. Michael Ryan, who is the um, head of the global pandemic response for WHO. <laughs> and sometimes you'll see him on the news talking about and giving warnings about how dire our situation is. And so um, I was actually surprised by that, but I was also very impressed with it too. Um, The film itself is uh, a rollicking ride, and it's just a reminder that when uh, Cruz commits to a big action thriller like this, he just very rarely misses. You know, he um, uh, obviously signing up a huge star like that brings the brings the money along as well and um, mm. uh, his clout <clears throat> can get the story to, to swing any way that he seems to want to. Um, it was great seeing Emily Blunt. I think the film she did after that one was um, Sicario, which yeah. is one of my favourite films of the last uh, 10 years. Um, but, yeah, he just does, It's just it was just a great, great ride and a, a fantastic bit of escapism except for, <laughs> except for <laughs> the, triggering the, the absolute triggering moments. <laughs> I did, I honestly did clock that as soon as it started the other day and I was like, oh, damn. But, um, you know, Tom uh, Lyman deliberately picked Cruz for this role because he was like, I want a film where Cruz doesn't know what to do and he is like the weakest link and he mm. he's, just, he's just a spin doctor. He's not a soldier in any means. And there's a wonderful, the, the clip that I showed you, I just love that scene between those two actors, like Gleason and Cruz are just fantastic in it. And um, as Cruz is kind of like he's got this bravado to him that I think he does so well. And then as Gleason approaches him, he kind of Cruise trips over, like kind of bumps into a chair, and it's those little things. Yeah, Yeah. there's like lots of really great play there. Um, Just that sort of dissecting of uh, the traditional cruise character in in that moment is yeah um, is really really well done. Yeah, and he he, is perfect, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's perfect in this. And one thing that I thought my takeaway from the opening montage was I laughed out loud because it's so you know it's like the world is in collapse, you know, you know, moody looking thing. And then Tom Cruise in a soldier's uniform, and I just I lost it, you know, <laughs> because my first thinking is that is not a soldier, that is Tom Cruise, and and then well, that's the, the film, problem, isn't it? Immediately identifies that shortcoming, you know, yes. and plays it as a virtue. Um, yeah. No, he isn't. He's the he's a spin doctor. He's a yep. sort of um, propaganda figure. You know, yeah. And he really is not a soldier because he looks like a movie star. Yeah. And, uh, I, that, it yeah. roll you really well, really well. Yeah. And I think Cruz is at his best when he's playing kind of slimy creep, like Absolutely. in Magnolia. Yes, yes. And this, yeah. Yeah. And also um, oh, Tropic Thunder. Like he's excellent as he's got a horrible, horrible character in Tropic Thunder. Like he's he's really good at those kind of darker, not great people. We, we've got to remember he's um he's he's a serious actor, you know. He's actually yeah, when he he's... when he brings it, he 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 really does he really does bring it. And yeah, you know, despite probably being the, the, the biggest actor on on the planet, he, he does have a range. Mm. Um, I think he... also oh sorry, Will. I was just going to say, he, like maybe Angelina Jolie, though, they got to this point that you can no longer see them as individuals or as believable characters. They just are this megastar kind of, uh, you know, a thing of their own that you yeah. you can't get past it in any role. Well, I think, though, that this this plays into it. So I think that that's how they're able to get around it. I know what you mean, though. Like mm-hmm. he has this icon status, 
But there's moments where, like, that's always the initial first thought and, like, the idea of a Tom Cruise action film obviously has a whole host of connotations. Like, you could just say that and people automatically, like, I get what that is. And I think that's why I was drawn to doing this one for this week because it has that front to it. It has that presentation of a Tom Cruise action film. And actually, if you watch the trailer for The Edge of Tomorrow, I think it is such a terrible trailer and it's possibly why the film did so badly at the box office because it really didn't um, perform as well. It did actually receive a lot of critical praise, which is I don't think surprising because once you watch it, it does present as an action film maybe even like a senseless action film. It kind of hits all those marks of where you think it's going to go with the news to like, oh, our hero thrown into this. But it has this wonderful playfulness. And I think especially Mm. the day repeating is this like, it's basically Groundhog Day if you wanted like some action pumped into it. But it's it's Mm. played really well. And Cruz is excellent at those comic marks. And actually his... I think he's perfectly paired with Emily Blunt, who brings this, like, she's so cool in the role and she's also just so believable. Like, she does has this, she's quite stern and she's quite, um, you just think she's just weary. She's war-weary. And you you learn that she's kind of um, able to help him through this process. I won't give away any spoilers. But they they have this wonderful chemistry on screen and it's not a kind of, um, it, you know, the film kind of shifts gears. It starts off as this, like, alien, like, you know, we're going to watch heaps of aliens getting sh- shot up and stuff like that. But it shifts into a much more serious film in the second half. And actually I think the scenes that I like the most are when they get to, um, there's a countryside scene towards the later part of the film and also city scenes. And those moments are really well captured. I think there's a beautiful tenderness there. Um, and I don't know, I just think there's a lot of humour in this. I genuinely mm. loved it every time <laughs> Emily Blunt shot Tom Cruise in the head. I was like, this is very hilarious. It actually, um, it actually reminded me a little bit of um, maybe a bit of Total Recall. Yeah, and a bit totally. of Starship Troopers. Yes, being, Starship Troopers for me was the link, yeah. Yeah. Being, yeah. Uh, both uh, that that's, uh, sci-fi tone that is kind of playful, kind of, a bit anarchic and a bit mm. um, there's something deeper going on. You know, it's a, it's a thoughtful thing, but it's also extremely fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I suppose I was saying before that I saw links between this and Paddington too, but it was mainly just for the actors having Brendan Gleeson and Noah Taylor in it again. Um, but also, like, I think that they, the characters, you know, like they they also kind of a bit of caricatures with the, you know, the typical people you'd see in these kind of like alien war films and things like that. Um, but I think that because the two main characters are elevated to this other narrative, it, it kind of comes together. So on the surface, mm. trashy, but actually a very well-made film, I think. Um, I don't know if you guys enjoyed Absolutely. that. I wasn't sure if you'd. I agree. It was just another yeah. one of those films that, that surprised me again because, you know, I'm not usually. Um, I have the I have Tom Cruise in my head as a as an action hero, hero and, and going through those kind of um, two dimensional you know Mission Impossible films that um, have those obvious but quirky twists in it to to make it um, to make it interesting. That's this is not that. This is far more um, nuanced. It's um, introspective in a way, mm. and um, I just love seeing Brendan Gleeson on 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 screen anytime. I think he's just a just a fantastic actor. I, I believe that this was Bill Paxman's last film too before oh, he was unfortunately it? passed away. Ah, it's, uh, I don't know that. Far too early. So yeah. Um yeah, I, I, I recommend it. 
Yeah, it's pretty fun. I do I do think that the um you know the very final bit might kind of where it goes for a while and I think that maybe people would lose a bit of interest, but I think cuz it shifts gears enough it's quite enjoyable and I think a good one just to take you maybe not the very start bit but it, most of it was a nice escapist film for me. It is odd, um, yeah. oddly reminiscent of video games. Yes. The, the way yeah. that the way that you you die, you go into this, yeah. uh, you know, into yes. this slaughter, and then you restart. It's like a yeah. video game with no save function. Yeah. You have to keep starting the same thing again uh, every time you die. There was a sci-fi film about ten years ago, um, Source Code by Duncan Jones, yep. that had this similar premise of restarting the day to try and avert a catastrophe. Yeah. Um, which was nowhere near as good as this. No, but, um, I didn't but, find yeah. that. Yeah, that had. I love those. I usually love those kind of more, you know, seemingly philosophical sci-fi's. But I feel like Source Code didn't quite hit the mark I there. I really wanted to like it. Source <laughs> yes, me it, too. Because it was Duncan Jones who made Moon. Yeah, um, yeah. And um, but I just was, yeah, no. The other, no, this the other, was much more interesting. Yeah, and I think another film, and this is, again, another recommendation for, um, you know, escapist cinema, but uh, Ready Player One, you know, that gamification. I think some of the, that kind of move into that territory is very exciting and I would recommend it. Anyway, if you've um, just tuned in and you're wondering what we're talking about, um, that we have just reviewed The Edge of Tomorrow, which is available to stream on Binge um, and apparently on Stan and Foxtel, but I haven't confirmed that yet. Um, and, yeah, if you basically if you want to have Groundhog Day with Aliens and Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt, then it's a good film to check out. So you have been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with my guest reviewers, Daniel James and Will Cox, and myself, Flick Ford. We celebrated the wonderful escapism that cinema offers us. We cried some very ugly tears in Paul King's Paddington 2, which is currently streaming on Binge. We had far too many pinos in the countryside in Alexander Payne's Sideways, which is streaming on Disney+. And finally, we donned big machine robot um, suit things um, and blew up a whole lot of aliens (laughs) in... I don't know what they're called. Uh, in, technical term. <laughs> in Doug Lyman's The Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, you can also subscribe to the Primal Screen podcast via iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, next week is going to be Radiothon. Uh, so we've got every film reviewer and their dog or cat <laughs> joining us on the show. It's going to be a whole lot of fun, so make sure you tune into that one. A big, big thank you to my beautiful and intelligent guest reviewers tonight, Will Cox and Daniel James. It's a pleasure, as always, chatting with you both. Thank you very much. Absolutely um, pleasure, Flick. Yeah. Daniel, you're going to be on our airwaves tomorrow at 8 for yes. the mission. If you find out what's on the show, um, please let me know. <laughs> I'm preparing uh, the script now. <laughs> also, uh, I want to give a shout out to Morty Osborne for editing the Primal Screen podcast. And as always, Carl Chapman for family and providing producing assistance. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 